Well, first of all, I do want to uh, apologize. I know I promised you an episode of the Kevin Prendeville show on Friday, um, but I had some stuff come up, and then uh, it was time for vacation, which I was going out of state, so I had a flight to catch, and unfortunately I was unable to uh, produce a show for you. Uh, but we're over that now. We're, as the famous movie quote from uh, Star Wars goes, we're, we're all fine here now. You know, how are you? <laughs> um, but I hope you're doing well. You know, skies are clear here on the 7th. Stock market is down. Um, but that's not, that's not what we're talking about today. I, I was thinking about the show um, this weekend because my mind rarely ever strays from work. Uh, for long periods of time because I truly enjoy what I do and I enjoy the educating people and I worry that in attempting to demonstrate how stock market speculation uh, and the current Federal Reserve uh, cuts are affecting um are affecting how the future of finance will go. I, I fear that too much is, it, it's getting too academic. That the purpose of these smaller segments uh, between the Kevin Brendeville show is to help push that education a little farther, that, that you'll get something practical out of it that you can use. And I worry that it's becoming too academic. And if it is, please, uh, tell me in the comments. And again, I'm not anti-intellectual, I'm not anti-academic, um, but sometimes, you know, you get into certain calculations and uh, treasury bond yields and all this stuff. And look, the average American wants to know whether or not you're going to save them money and how. I, I believe, and that's not an insult. That's, a, that's just part of our culture. And it's a good part of our culture. It comes from our good work ethic, you know, uh, get to the punch kind of kind of deal. So in the interest of doing that, I do want to give you, I don't know, probably in eight minutes or less, uh, just some tips on car buying. And the reason I bring this up is I love cars. I've got um, my, uh, my daily driver and then I've got, um, which is probably my, my favorite car in the world. It's a 1982 Lincoln Continental. And uh, it doesn't work half the time. I, I got to change the battery again. Um, but it's just—it's like driving your living room. I love it. Um, and it—it's it, been in the family for a little bit now. Um, and when it was new, it was purchased by uh, a friend of my grandfather. So it's always kind of been connected to the family. So it's part family heirloom, but also it's just a fun car to drive. And. I don't want to come across then as I just see cars as numbers, you know, in a bean counter kind of way, because there's, like anything, and like being a human being, there is meaning behind cars sometimes. And people can have a, a fascination with them. Uh, you know, look at Jay Leno now that he is uh, retired from uh, stand-up and late night. He, you know, plays around with cars for a living. And that's great. That being said, most people will spend more driving to work than they will have made as a result of having gone to work. Now, even with a potential shift in terms of people 
working from home, they will still spend more on their car just in the act of purchasing it than they'll have made as a result of having gone to work. And again, it comes back to our old friend, opportunity cost and compound interest. So let's assume that somebody buys a new car every five years. It's themselves and uh, their wife or, or husband. And they buy a new car every uh, five years, the both of them. And we're going to assume it's uh, just a flat value of 16000 um, that's probably a little high for when they're in their younger years and a little low for when they're older. I think it would even out to being close to the average cost of a, of a brand new car. And they buy new. Because some people believe in buying new that it has zero miles on it. It's fresh off the assembly line. Uh, sometimes for people it has more meaning for them and they simply prefer having uh, a new car. So immediately, and we're going to assume in this first example that they pay cash for it. So they pay cash for it, which is $32,000 up front. And immediately, the second that front tire leaves the lot, it's worth half of what they paid for it. You could pull out of the dealership, do a U-turn, come back in, and sell them the car, and you would get half of what you just paid 30 seconds ago. It's not a new car anymore. You didn't even put a mile on it. But it's not a new car. You know, so uh, as soon as you get in and turn that key and that wheel makes its first rotation, it's used. And that cuts its value in half. And over the next two years, it will continue to depreciate up to another 30 to 50%. That's how it works. And that's just the how uh, the market works, you know, because they're making, not only do they have a larger quantity if you're buying uh, a name brand car in a solid model car, but they make so many of them, it decreases the value. But what does increase is the opportunity cost from spending $32,000 on that car. Again, in cash. Therefore, as we know from going over this a couple times on the show, uh, with interest, you either pay it or you lose it. So over the next five years, while they are driving this car around, taking the kids to soccer or wherever they're going, and uh, over the next five years, they go to buy a new car. Well, they would have had, if they were able to save and uh, invest the $32,000, they would have had $46,822.91, but, you know, it's not really worth much these days. And then what do they do? They buy again with cash. $32,000, same process takes place. Over the next five years, it actually costs them $46,000, and they do this every five years for 30 years. So you take 46,822 and you multiply that by six because that's how many times uh, five goes into 30. So how many times we'll repeat this process. 
and that comes out to $280,932 that they could have had if they didn't buy new and didn't pay with cash. Now, some people going to work might make more than that. And I'm sure many people will. But that's just the opportunity cost cost on the money paid in. Because when you turn around and sell it, you still take a loss. So even if we just take the depreciation from that new car driving off the lot, that's an additional $140,000. So finishing up the math here. Would have been, the actual math comes out to about $420,000 that they could have had one if they didn't buy new and two if they didn't pay with cash. So next, obviously the larger, the, the question becomes, Kevin, are you saying you should buy a car that's two and a half years old and lease it? Not necessarily. Because then you're paying the interest, aren't you? Now you do have one point down. You should always buy a car that's at least two and a half years old. Why? Because you've eliminated the 50% reduction because it's not new. The two and a half years have gone by where most of the depreciation occurs. And then there's a standard level of depreciation, a couple percent. But if you finance, you're simply paying that interest off to the institution that loans you that money. So what's the solution? Well, the solution that I would give my clients would be to have a leverageable base that you would borrow against, and while it appreciates, you pay yourself back. Therefore, you don't lose the forward momentum of your money, the uninterrupted compound interest, so you don't have the opportunity cost, and you get the benefit of paying cash in the sense you're not paying an institution an interest rate. But not very many Americans have a leverageable base. That's just because that's not how we're taught. So what's, what is the solution if you don't have one? Well, I would keep the car buying tenants pretty simple. It has to be older than two and a half years. And I would say between two and a half and five years because you get things that are past five years and you start running into problems with uh, sometimes first run models. That's also a no-no because uh, they're still ironing out kinks in those first couple of years of a model. So you want to buy it later into a, a, a model's run. After the, uh, and then I would also say that um, if you buy it after five years, if it's used, that's typically when cars start having more repair problems. So if you can hit the sweet spot between about two and a half and five years old, uh, you'll get good use out of the car because by the time mechanical problems start showing up, which are pretty expensive it'll be just about time to get a new one and you don't have the opportunity cost of paying uh, uh, that you would if it was a new car and there are things uh, uh, you know uh, private companies now I think car shields one of them and again I'm not sponsored by them or anything but um, for a monthly fee you can cover a lot of uh, mechanical issues that insurance may not cover. 
And of course, even if you put a, a lot of miles on the car, it's still good probably to get used because that just increases depreciation. So next time you gotta you gotta buy a car, I would beseech you. I would ask you to look at something that is used. There's no shame in that. I mean, think about it. If you're getting a, a 2018 or, or 2017, it's pretty close to new. So you've got most of the features that are in the 2020s, if not all of them, in the 2021 models. You know, your GPSs, your uh, uh, advanced electronics, whatever they're putting in them now, so it's not too outdated in that department. And some other sucker paid your depreciation for those couple of years. Is it a total win? No, but it's a lot better than how everyone else is buying a car. I'll tell you that much. Well, I thank you for letting me into your home or your car, ironically, if that's where you're listening to us or however you're listening to us. I appreciate the time to hopefully impart some knowledge on you and what I've learned in the financial industry. And tomorrow, trust me, we will have the Kevin Prendeville Show. Keep it locked right here on the Kevin Prendeville Podcast Hub.